Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Taker. It's episode 77 today, it's the 30th of March 23, and today we are looking at what a human being is and why it matters. So welcome to the podcast today, everyone. Today we're thinking about uh, what a human being is. That's the the um, second of the sort of the main section of Os Guinness's book, uh, the Magna Carta of Humanity. Just thinking about how what a human being is kind of has effects on society, has effects on the government and on ourselves as well, and the way that we relate to other people. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that a little bit later in the podcast. But before we do, just the first uh, couple of minutes, I just wanted to um, give some uh, some news and some you know articles and things that I've seen. Just share that with you. And um, uh, yeah, thanks for those who've uh, sent me things to, to look at as well. I do appreciate all of the, the dialogue that we have. Um, it's been interesting. Someone mentioned... Um, a couple of couple of weeks ago in the podcast, I was talking about 1997 and how I think 1997 was a, a sort of a turning point year. And someone else mentioned on Telegram that they felt that 2012 was quite a significant year as well. And particularly thinking about the government overreach when it comes to controlling in the, the Olympics, you know, the way that they control London and you weren't allowed to do certain things. And yeah, I think 2012 was quite a an, another sort of turning point in a sense. I felt that 2012 was actually the last good year that we had as a country, you know, the year that when things felt reasonably together. And after that, things started to, to very much go downhill uh, rapidly. Um, but certainly the, the seeds of everything that was happening were there back in 2012 and earlier on, as we were looking at. So, yes, it's really interesting to, to think about these things. Anyway, so um, just before we get going, I just wanted to mention again my book, uh, Confused by Grace. This is um, just come out a couple of weeks ago, uh, published via Amazon, and you can buy a paperback version or a Kindle version from there. Um, at the moment, it is £9.69, £9.69 for the paperback and £3.99 for the Kindle edition. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's a Christian book. It's about, um, you know, helping us to, to understand how to live. Now, it's a, a, the subtitle is How the Christian Life Really Works. And it's about how we how we live the Christian life, knowing that God forgives us, but knowing that we... Uh, you know, we need to obey him. But, but how do we kind of put those two things together? How does that drive obedience? How does God's grace actually drive our obedience uh, and living a Christian life? So if that is something that interests you, then do go and have a look at that, uh, Confused by Grace, and I'll put the link in the description down below. Okay, so let's move on to look at the things that I've um, I've been uh looking at this week, I've seen this week, there was a really good article in The Telegraph by David Frost, um, which said, uh, long lockdown has left Britain infantilised. And I thought that this was a really good article, but particularly focused on the, the way that people's perception of risk and the role of the government in their lives has changed after the lockdown. Let me just quote you from the last little bit of the article. For most of history, people have had to get on with their own lives without help. Even in the early years of the welfare state, government assistance was supposed to be a safety net. 
the active state wasn't meant to be there to watch over you through the normal vicissitudes of, exist of existence, help you formulate your own life goals, or shield you from the consequences of every failure and every poor judgment. That's why the most countercultural political idea around nowadays is that politics should get out of large parts of our lives, and why the biggest political task we now face is to make that happen. Unless we can do this, I fear that the malign forces of lockdown will remain with us and continue to poison our society. I thought that was really good and insightful, that something that we need to be fighting for actually is to get the government out of our lives. And I did a video about this, um, a podcast about this um, a few weeks ago, get the government out of my life. And I think that is such a, an important thing, you know, that the government should not be there all the time. So, um, yeah, good, good article. Do have a look at that if you're interested. Another thing which I saw, which was published a, just a week or so ago, published on Off Guardian. And uh, I only found earlier on that um, Twitter posts up a warning when you link to Off Guardian articles saying that this content might be unreliable. So obviously it must be a, a reliable news source if Twitter are posting a warning to it. Even after Elon Musk has taken over Twitter, they still do, you know, rubbish like that. So, yeah, this is called 40 Facts You Need to Know, The Real Story of COVID. And it just goes through all of the different elements of what's happened, putting it all together. You know, the, um, the, the symptoms, the diagnosis and PCR tests, the cases, deaths, lockdowns, ventilators, masks and vaccines, mortality data uh, and so on and so forth looking at all of the aspects of it, 40 different points. And I, I thought reading that, I mean, it's a very, very good summary of everything. And it just made me realise again how utterly insane the last three years have been. You know, just none of it has made any coherent, logical sense. It's not at all that COVID was, a, um, you know, a, a, has been react. you know, we haven't reacted in any kind of logical way and um, there are so many questions there are so many things which were um, just make no sense um, so yeah do have a look at that uh, for, for kind of just a really good summary I mean it's nothing there's nothing new in there but I, I just seeing it all sort of put together I think was really helpful um, move, moving on you may have seen that the, there's a new leader of the Scottish National Party, the SNP. That is um, Humza Yousaf. Um, and um, interesting that he posted on Twitter a picture of him praying in uh, Butte House. Um, and it's just him and what I presume is possibly his father and his sons. Um, I'm not sure, but it's only the men praying. And it's interesting how, you know, religion that, that Kate Forbes as a Christian, you know, she was demonised by a lot of the, the parts of the press for, you know, saying that she was um, Christian and had traditional Orthodox Christian beliefs. But this uh, this guy gets in and uh, posts up a picture of, of him praying as a, as a Muslim. And, you know, they're, they're all over it. Um, and I think it just makes you think, you know, there's there is a religion in this country which is which is celebrated and promoted, and there is one which is which is demonised um, largely by the by the, the liberal media establishment, and 
yeah there we go um there's a link anyway that was um on david robinson's uh david robertson's twitter account so i'll, I'll um post a, a link for that there was a couple of things this week about the transgender movement turning violent one of them uh is posey parker real name kelly j Keane. she was um attacked there was kind of a mob of transgender activists who surrounded her when she was in uh, New Zealand and, you know, she felt lucky. She she thought she'd be crushed and, and so on. She talked about it on the Brendan O'Neill podcast. So um, you, I, I listened to that, but there are other articles about it. Um, so that was one example of the, the trans mob, sort of. The, 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 these are people who probably have Be Kind in their Twitter bio, you know, and... Um, they they make a big song and dance about you know inclusion and, and what have you but when someone like kelly j Keane is talking a sense about you know women only spaces and so on there is a violence and there is you know reacting in this physical violence kind of a way um is yeah it's incredible and actually we'll, we'll come back to this um in the main section of the podcast as well and one thing which is worrying about this, particularly there was a shooting in America about this. Uh, uh, there was a transgender um, shooter who went into a Christian school. And Tucker Carlson in America on Fox News did a, a, um, a segment saying that the trans movement is targeting Christians. And that's a, a worrying development, but I, I think it's a logical and natural one which is that you know we knew that all of these fake kind of substitute religions are going to end up targeting christianity that's just follows as the night the day really isn't it that's how it always ends up happening so you might like to have a look at that from uh, tucker carlson about what he had to say um, about that it's it's horrific of course but uh, i think we have to be aware of what looks like is coming that you know that the transgender is actually anti-christian in the end um one more thing that i i wanted to mention there's just one funny thing i had to have at the end but uh, one more thing i wanted to mention before we get to that is um i said the other week that i've been watching the documentary about the malaysia airlines flight mh370 you know the one that disappeared and I said that I've been started reading the book by Florence de Chongy. Um, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but it's called The Disappearing Act, The Impossible Case of MH370. And something that she said in the, the bit that I was reading last night really struck me as being related to everything that's been happening the last three years about COVID. So just to, to put this into context, um, the, the official narrative was that MH370 went down in the South Indian Ocean, you know, sort of west of Australia. And that was where the search area was concentrated. Um, but there was a piece of... They initially thought it went down in the South China Sea. And there was a piece of, of debris that washed up in Thailand. And it looked like it came from a plane... But very quickly on Twitter, someone said, oh, no, it actually looks like a piece of rocket. And um, and it, this sort of the, the general narrative was, no, it's not a piece of MH370. It's just a piece of rocket. And um, this is what Florence de Chongy said 
in the um, in her book. Uh, Thai aviation experts quoted in several press reports had originally declared that the debris was covered with bolts used by Boeing, but these comments were quickly dismissed or ignored. Once again, a case had been closed before it was really heard, to the point where I, like the rest of the world, simply accepted the rocket story. Who would take the Bangkok Post and much lesser known local media seriously once all the big international media outlets had agreed on the Mitsubishi story? So I finally tried to double check by myself and it turned out to be not that difficult after all. So what happened was that this debris was found and the mainstream media quickly got hold of this Mitsubishi you know, rocket story that it wasn't actually a piece of plain debris even though a lot of the evidence was against it now bear in mind this was back in oh about um, 2016 2017 i think this happened but you know the mh370 crashed in 2014 and i just thought well it just made me feel like such a fool you know in in, in the sense that i think i prior to 2020 was much too inclined to give the benefit of the doubt to the mainstream media and think that they were speaking the truth, think that the government weren't involved, think that they were on our side, they were on the side of the truth, and so on. And, you know, the, the, the seeds were there from way, way before 2020. You know, the, 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 the cover-ups happening by the media, the, the way that, if you like, the media had the power to create a narrative and control what people believed. You know, because most people will not do their own research. Most people will not double check and look at the evidence. They will just accept whatever the BBC tells them or whatever the newspapers are telling them. And we've seen that over the past three years, but it's been happening for a long time. And um, I think that, you know, I've fully you know woken up to it, if you like, now. But, um, yeah, it just made me think, you know, how much it had been happening way before then. And um, it's a salutary lesson, I think, for all of us that, you know, we need to, to have a healthy suspicion that, you know, that, that actually we do need to, to look for the truth and that not everyone will be telling the truth. And, you know, it's, it's just a good reminder that, you know, groupthink and, you know, that, that just because someone says so is not always, you know, we mustn't, you know, put un unconditional faith in anything or anyone. Uh, apart from God, you know that He's the only one we can trust completely. So, so yeah, um, that was that was just a little reflection that I had from MH370. I'm sure there might be there might be more as I as I go through the book. I'm about halfway through at the moment, so you know we'll we'll see how that goes. One more funny thing, I just wanted to share this with you because I thought this was pretty good. That um, there was a magazine that published sort of um historical counterfactuals you know so publishing pictures of what the world might have looked like if history had taken a different course and this magazine was publishing published a picture as if the UK had remained a Catholic country rather than becoming a Protestant country um, back at the time of the uh, the Reformation and you can see there's a picture there of um, apologies for those of you who are just listening on the podcast I put the picture up on the um, you know on the, the the video on YouTube but um, I'll put the link down below. You can have a look for it yourself. But uh, there's um, uh, Christ the Redeemer in Trafalgar Square. Uh, 
like, you know, like the picture is in, uh, like the um, Christ Redeemer in Rio. Sorry, I can't get my words out today. Like Christ the Redeemer in Rio, there's a Christ the Redeemer statue in Trafalgar Square. But underneath, there's a rail replacement bus. And uh, it just says, you know, some things stay the same. And I just thought, how wonderful that, you know, that in an alternative universe, there's still a rail replacement bus service. Some things stay the same. Um, ah, some things I do love, you know, we love to hate about Britain, don't we? Rail replacement buses, I think, must number one of the most things that we, we love to hate about Britain. But they're things that make Britain Britain, the rail replacement bus. So let's take a moment to celebrate the rail replacement bus. Um, there we go. Right, I think all of that is everything. Do let me know um, in the comments if there's anything uh, else that, um, any interesting things that you've seen this week, anything that you'd like to add. Uh, you can um, let me know on Telegram as well. You can email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. And just to remind you, if you'd like to support the podcast, there's a buy me a coffee link as well. And I do appreciate that too. So let's move on now to the main section, looking at Os Guinness's book, thinking about what makes human beings human beings. So the main section this week, uh, we're continuing looking through Os Guinness's book, The Magna Carta of Humanity. And this this week, we're thinking about what is a human being and the difference that that makes. Um, because the what we think a human being is will really shape, perhaps more than anything else, what a society is and all of our relationships. So what is a human being? You may think of Hamlet. Um, I had to study Hamlet at school. Um, and, um, you know, the, but famously, Hamlet says, Act 2, Scene 2, What a piece of work is a man! How noble in reason! How infinite in faculties! In form and moving, how express and admirable! In action, how like an angel! In apprehension, how like a god! The beauty of the world! The paragon of animals! And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Uh, and yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me, nor woman neither, though by your smiling you seem to say so. So Hamlet there, uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet, saying about uh, just that kind of ode to mankind, saying, you know, how like an angel, how like a god in apprehension. So, uh, you know, very, very high view of humanity and yet through history we have not had such a high view of humanity um, I've got a picture there those of you who are listening on the audio podcast I've got a picture there of Auschwitz and we don't have to go back very far in well really in living memory and also I mean as we look around the world to see what happens when human beings are not treated as human beings with, with all the dignity that that deserves. This is what Os Guinness says. The terrible lesson of the 20th century is that whenever there was a sufficiently large gap between who humans were and how they were seen, or when they were not seen at all and counted only as statistics, humans found themselves in deep, deep trouble. And that's been the case for tyrannical regimes all through history, hasn't it? That if you don't see humans as humans, then 
they find themselves in trouble you know that leads to gas chambers and that sort of thing at the end of the day so where are we moving to as a western society as a western world what are we moving to um, this is where Osginis then moves to quote from Yuval Harari who we've mentioned on the podcast several times um, mainly as a uh, one of the advisors to the World Economic Forum who's um, one of their sort of I think a, quite a big cheese in their thinking um, so let me just read what Osginis says and he quotes Yuval Harari's book Homo Deus if the great advances of the 20th century triumphed over famine plague and war we are now on the verge of even greater victories achieving immortality happiness and divinity what this shows he writes in his best-selling book homo deus is that we are godlings and the gods of planet earth in fact we are about to upgrade to homo deus we have reached the place where we can see the last days of death and our successes are so extraordinary that we can claim with justification scientists today can do much better than the old testament god so there we go this is where we are moving as a society that the place of human beings is becoming more and more uh, kind of replaced or augmented by technology saying that you know we are just machines and that as as Yuval Harari actually says explicitly humans today can do better than the Old Testament God we are godlings you know God is not there we are just you know machines and that we can augment and and achieve for ourselves that which that which we want because we have the science and the technology to do it so it's looking at science and technology as a saviour um, so that's where we we seem to be going and according to Yuval Harari that is where we are going and this book by the way is a it says it's a number one bestseller you know it's hardly a, a little obscure book which nobody has read um, but it is actually a a book which um, yeah is has made an impact so let's think back to first principles then and think where does human dignity come from? And this is where we need to go back to the beginning. So um, this is what Os Guinness says. Just as the, as the meaning of a system must lie outside the system, as philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein insisted, so the true meaning and the true value of humanity must come from outside humanity. So he says that the meaning of any system cannot be from within the system itself. That would be silly. And that's completely right, isn't it? That if human beings only have value to other human beings, then we don't really have value. Or the only value we have is that which other people give us. We don't have value in, in sort of any objective sense, in any in any sense which is higher than ourselves so if we only have value from within humanity if you like from within the within the view of humanity then humanity can change it and humanity can say well we consider x y or z 
whether they be Jews, whether they be other groups, to be not worthy of human dignity and they can be killed and exterminated. So we need a dignity, a human dignity, which comes from outside of ourselves, one which cannot be tampered with or changed by human beings, you know, one which we cannot define to suit ourselves. And this is what he goes on to say. The Genesis declaration that humans are made in the image and likeness of God is the clearest, strongest and most influential statement of the priceless value of the individual human being in history. Human beings will never be prized more highly than when they were seen as bearers of the image of God. So he says here that we will never be more highly valued than as image bearers of God. And I believe that he is absolutely right. That the highest value that, that we can give as human beings is to say that we, every single human being, is made in the image of God. There is no higher thing that, that you can say about anyone. And actually that there is nothing else that can approach giving each human being that level of dignity. You know, each human being, whether they be young or old, whether they be unborn, whether they be uh, with learning difficulties or, or whatever, each human being is precious and made in the image of God and nothing else can come close to giving that level of dignity and value to each human person. And that's the fundamental place that we need to begin. So he then goes on to talk about some of the implications of what this means. So the first implication, uh, he mentions more, but I'm just going to pick up on um, three of them. The first one is that existence can be trusted. So this is what he said. From first to last, and from Genesis to Revelation, there is no ambiguity. God has a heart for humanity, and existence can be trusted. There are and there will be contradictions and conflicts, but all shall be well. Those who know God know peace in the storms. Neither fate nor fate accompli have the last word. I just wanted to mention that because I think it's a rather lovely thing saying that you know, there is a, a givenness and there is a purpose to the world, that things aren't just chaotic and random, but that the world has a purpose, that you have a purpose, you and, you and I have a place in this world and that God has, has made it this way. And I love what he said, you know, those who know God know peace in the storms. And I think it's important to say that even as we are looking at you know, the intellectual foundation of Western civilization that, you know, we need to say actually that knowing God is not just an intellectual endeavor, but it is about knowing peace in the storms as well. And that, you know, fate or fate accompli, whatever it is, they don't have the last word, but God does. And uh, that's a, that's a, a really good thing. But, you know, the, the important thing, you know, in terms of the intellectual foundations is that existence is, is given to us. We don't define it. It is given to us by God and we can trust it as well because it's not deceptive. 
you know, God isn't trying to deceive us, but existence is is given to us and we need to accept it as a given. Something which the transgender activists are not doing, by the way, they think they can recreate themselves. And there are other examples of this going around as well. The second thing then, the implication of human beings being made in the image of God, is that means humans are not reducible to numbers. So this is what Osginis says again. Human existence and human actions must never be reduced to numbers, or Stalin would be right. The death of one person is a tragedy, but the death of millions is simply a statistic. Um, that was, I believe, what Stalin said. The death of one person is a tragedy, but many people is just a, a statistic. And uh, it made me think, actually, of the way that in our society at the moment, so much is built on identity politics. You know, that the group is more important than the individual. You know, your immutable characteristics are more important than the individual. And what does that say about our value as individuals our value as human beings that you're you know almost the most important thing about you is your group identity and that's that's not right is it that's not right and but also it's very easy then to have this kind of virtue signaling approach where you care about people a group without actually caring for the individual and I think you've seen this in the last week. There's been this thing doing the rounds on Twitter. You know, people saying well, we need to welcome refugees, and other people saying, "Would you house a refugee?" And I think that's a good question to ask, actually, because you know it's all very well to care for refugees in the abstract, just so long as it doesn't affect you. But would you be willing to take one into your house? You know, would you be willing to look after them, to pay for them, to you know, all of those things to actually to do the work yourself. And if not, why are you calling on the government to do that which you cannot do yourself or would not do yourself? And um, I think that's actually a um, a really significant question. It's so easy to care in the abstract about a group, but not actually to care about the individuals concerned. And we must never uh, reduce caring to being about numbers and about you know groups but actually we must care for the individual as well and and perhaps most importantly care for the individual um the third thing actually sorry there are four things which i've uh, I brought out of this um the third thing was about equality so um this is what uh was what what is so this is what Osginis says. The Genesis Declaration provides the only solid foundation for the highest form of human equality, the equality of dignity. So that is, equality rests on the fact that each person has the dignity of being made in the image of God. And this is something which was picked up in the American revolution in the the declaration of independence um, you recall that um, this is his big thing is the difference between the french revolution and the american revolution you know, 1776 versus 1789 um, but the declaration of independence stated that 
we behold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And uh, Osginus goes on to quote um, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. These truths are anything but self-evident. They would have been regarded as subversive by Plato and incomprehensible to Aristotle. And he goes on to say it is only through the Judeo-Christian worldview, someone who's steeped in the Bible and the biblical view, that all people are created equal. That that is the only foundation for equality in the world. That, you know, we, we all have an equality of dignity because we are created by God. And this is not to say that equality has... It's become a bit of a watchword today and there are problems as well when you focus on equality and take it away from the Christian context of everyone being made in the image of God. So this is what he he goes on to say. From the French to the Russian and Chinese revolutions, the radical and progressive left repeats monotonously that humans can only be made fully and formally equal by the most draconian measures that result in silencing dissent, flouting diversity and flattening distinctions. And I thought that was insightful, that the the current press for equality in the world basically flattens everything and everyone to look homogenous and just reduces everyone to their immutable characteristics and makes everyone the same. You think about um, equality and diversity at an organisation like the BBC, where it's kind of a almost fake equality, you know, on diversity. Like, you know, there may be diversity of skin colour or diversity of ethnicity, for example, but not actual diversity of thought and personality. And that's not really diversity at all. Um, so I thought that was insightful. And he, he goes on to say, The truth is that equality alone is a dangerous criterion. It must always be balanced by the dignity of the individual and the morality and social consequences of the behaviour. So if you take away equality and you focus on equality at the expense of other things and outside of its sort of Judeo-Christian context, then you, you run the risk of actually doing something really, really bad. And that's exactly what's happened. You know, that people are talking a lot about equality and equality is a a good thing. But when you rip it out of its context, it becomes like an axe, you know, and it's it's doing a lot of damage. And that's because it's been taken away from its foundations, from the the what gave us equality in the first place. And so we need to go back and understand where equality came from and it is only then that we can build a more fair and equal society when we understand equality in the the Christian sense. So the fourth and final thing that Osginis highlights about um, being human beings being made in the image of God is about the right use of power. So this is what he says. There is no earlier, stronger or more timely critique of the abuse of power than this striking feature of the Hebrew scriptures. God's justice means that injustice to God's children is a flaming affront to God himself. 
humans are made in the image of God, and the oppression of any single human or an entire group of humans is a violation of their creation and an outrage to God himself. So that flows from seeing human beings as made in the image of God, that if each human being is made in the image of God, then to oppress and to misuse, to to abuse power, is to be an affront to God himself. And that's something which is hugely um, challenging, I think, to the way that throughout history rulers and governments have acted that they haven't seen people as made in the image of God and so they think well it doesn't matter if we hurt people or oppress them because we are trying to do what's right and in fact sometimes they haven't um, haven't even been trying to do what's right of course but I think today this happens because they it's the the greater good thing. Well, it doesn't matter how we treat individual people so long as we are aiming for the greater good. And what the the Christian, the Judeo-Christian worldview is saying, each unique human being is made in the image of God. How you treat each unique human being is really matters. You can't treat them badly in order to achieve the greater good. And if you're watching here on the podcast, you'll see I've got a, a picture of um, Queen Elizabeth II. And the reason I put a picture of her is not to, to illustrate the wrong use of power, but actually I think you know, she embodied, I believe, seeing everyone as unique and made in the image of God. And she lived that out. She never oppressed, but she saw herself as a servant. She was there to serve the people, her her people who were made in the image of God. And I mean, I said this at the time when she passed in September last year. I don't think, though, that I I ever really realised how lucky and how unusual it was to live in a country with a head of state who recognised themselves to be a servant and recognised that they were there to serve. Uh, It's an incredible thing. And I'm very thankful, actually, that God um, enabled me to to grow up and live in in a country where we did have the Queen who you know, who was a servant and who saw the image of God in her people. Um, that's a wonderful thing and a very rare thing. The final thing which I, I just wanted to mention now, Os Guinness doesn't make much of this, but he kind of um, segues from talking about the abuse of power in a sort of dictatorship or, or, or a governmental, you know, the, the sense of rulers, to abuse of power on a more personal level. But particularly when talking about um, sexuality and about you know, sex and, and power. So this is what he says. This will be the last quote from Os Guinness um, in this section. The combination of sexual desire and lawless power results in people being used as means to ends, with no respect for persons. It is fashionable to celebrate Hugh Hefner as an apostle of sexual freedom and to denigrate Harvey Weinstein as a monster and sexual predator. But the logic of the former and the logic of the latter are linked, and they were both prefigured in the French Revolution. The just critique of the abuse of power 
applies to the permissive lifestyles of Western societies as much as to the brutal oppression of totalitarian dictators. Now this is something I thought was really insightful and something you don't hear very often, which is that the same notion of the you know, every human being made in the image of God, it applies to rulers as much as it does to each other and to the way that we interact with one another. And I think his point is that a society which can you know condemns Harvey Weinstein but celebrates Hugh Hefner is not a healthy society and is not a an intellectually coherent society. And I think we have to to listen to this challenge actually and say you know you can't have the the government's treating treating us with dignity and not locking us down and forcing us to take vaccines and so on and so forth unless we are prepared to recognize that there is power as well when it comes to the, the sexual dynamics of what's happening and the way that we are abusing one another when it comes to, to that. And, you know, something I've been thinking about for a long time is that, you know, since the sexual revolution, then so much of what is happening is to do with power and it's abusive. You know, people are using one another rather than loving one another. People are using one another for sexual gratification rather than actually saying, no, I'm going to get married, I'm going to commit to you, I'm going to look after you when you're sick, I'm going to raise children with you, I'm just, I'm not going to give up on you, you know, I'm going to love you. That's marriage. But now it's just seen as a free-for-all in terms of getting what we want, our own gratification. And uh, I think that this is a challenge for us because as a society, you know, the personal morality and the public um, authoritarianism that's going on are related. And that's why I really liked what Osgun is uh, said here. But I, I think it's only quite a small section just at the end of the chapter. Um, I think there's a lot more to be said um, about it. The way that the the way that we treat each other is linked with the way that governments treat us, that you can't divorce those two two things that public and private morality are you know one and the same really so i just like to finish with a challenge and this is i'm going to quote here from c.s lewis i think i may have quoted this once before but this is his sermon the weight of glory which was uh, published in 1942 and osgin quotes it in the chapter as well um, but I think it's so good. It just—it's a challenge, really, to think: Are we ready to live in a world of people made in the image of God? Are we ready to let that change our behaviour and change the government? You know, because it, it is a huge change. It's a—it's a sea change in the way that we we actually operate. Um, it makes such a big difference. So let me let me quote you anyway from um, C.S. Lewis. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, 
cultures, arts, civilizations. These are mortal, and their life to ours is as a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snob, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendours. Now, I think C.S. Lewis was absolutely on the money in that. And I think what he said, uh, it should change the way that we look at the world. It should change everything. You know, that the people who we deal with are not just people, but they are made in the image of God. And, you know, so going back to what I was saying at the start of the podcast about the transgender activists, you know, that, yes, transgender people... Um, such as they are, are made in the, the, the image of God. And I say such as they are, you know, but um, uh, people with gender dysphoria, whatever anyone is made in the image of God, they need to be respected, of course. But then so do people who disagree with transgender ideology. They need to be respected too and not um, treated with violence. And it's the same, you know, think about the the welfare state as well. You know, that we need to respect people who are hard up, of course, um, but we need to treat them with the dignity of, of work and the dignity of giving them opportunities and look at the whole person rather than just looking at them from one perspective. And so many things, you know, this, this, this is transformative for the way that we do society. When we think that everyone is made in the image of God, that gives the greatest possible dignity and and respect for each individual human life and that's what we must consider as we shape society and it is also what we must consider in our day-to-day lives as c.s lewis said it's it's uh, immortals that we work with and that we marry and that we snub or exploit as well it's a serious thing to to have this change uh, are we ready for that i think we need to ask for god's help in you know, seeing actually how society should be different, but for ourselves, how we should treat others, knowing that they are made in the image of God and what a serious thing that is. So um, I hope that you appreciated that. I have enjoyed reading the book. There's a lot more in the book, which I haven't mentioned. So I'm just going through pulling out a few quotes and I hope that you're enjoying this. We go through, but do read the book if this is sort of um, piqued your interest. But we're going to finish the podcast now by looking at a psalm from the Bible. So for the biblical reflection today, um, I thought I would just read Psalm 72, which I I actually just read as my psalm um, this morning. I like to read a psalm every day and I say to people, if you want to grow spiritually, um, then one important thing you can do is just read a psalm every day. That That's it. Just read a psalm every day. They're so um, beneficial. It's Psalm 72, um, and I, um, I'm just going to read it. I think it kind of speaks for itself, but I'm just going to read it and then share uh, a quick thought about it afterwards. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. 
May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him with gifts. May all kings bow down to him, and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and needy, and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May corn abound throughout the land, on the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure for ever, may it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvellous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name for ever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen. Okay, now this psalm speaks of the king and what the world is like under the rule of this king. And it talks about the king living forever, you know, enduring as long as the sun and, um, you know, always, always uh, living and in fact bringing a blessing to all nations. And it says, what is this king like? Well, he, he judges with righteousness. Um, in his days, it says, may the righteous flourish. And um, he also de- delivers those who are needy from their oppressors. So he, he saves the needy and afflicted from their oppressors. He does what is right and just and he brings fairness. And he also is a king of prosperity and it said there, may corn abound throughout the land, uh, may crops flourish like Lebanon, and so on. So there's just a, a picture of prosperity and a picture of uh, just a, a, a nation which is working kind of wonderfully and, and well. You know, righteousness and prosperity going together. And as you read that, you think... Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a country like that? Now, wouldn't it be wonderful to live where that king is is the king? But then I was thinking, well, actually, you know, we do live in, in a world where there is a king like that. That is the Lord Jesus. You know, that's who the psalm is speaking about at the end of the day. That actually when we look to the Lord Jesus, he is the one who brings righteousness and brings prosperity at the end of the day. And I believe that our nation can once again have the righteousness and prosperity which we perhaps had before when actually we look to Jesus as the King, when we look to his ways and submit to him. That's when these things can actually belong to us as a nation if we turn aside from god if we turn aside from his messiah from the lord jesus then we will not have any of this and sadly we are seeing that happen 
uh, more and more. And there are many worrying things which are happening across our society and across the Western world. But it's not too late that we can turn to him. We can seek him and we can seek this king who is righteous and who does what what is right, who delivers the needy and who brings prosperity. And when we submit to him, then uh, things will will start going going our way if you like things will, will will be better so yeah um i hope that that's an encouraging thought though just knowing that there is a king and he is on the throne and we can trust him now, just this coming sunday actually it's palm sunday which in the church calendar is the time where you remember jesus christ riding into jerusalem as king and he is he is the true king and you know if we do not recognize him as a nation then we cannot expect blessing but if we do recognize him as king i think we can trust that god will will bring real change uh, change for the good for the for the better so let's take a moment to pray and uh, well let's pray that that would happen um i think we have a need to pray that day by day don't we that you know that our leaders that our nation would recognize jesus as the king and let's pray and ask that uh, God would help us to think about the image of God in everyone, see that, and that that would change both our society and ourselves as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we were thinking about in the main section, we thank you that each human being was made in the image of God. And we pray that that would transform the way that we are as a society, as we seek to um, put first the dignity and worth of every individual made in your image and we pray also that that would transform the way that we relate to other people in our own lives knowing that we need to uh, to take seriously the image of God in everyone that we meet and we pray that you would help us to treat people rightly and we pray Heavenly Father as we think about Psalm 72 we thank you that there is a king your son, Jesus Christ, who reigns and is a king of righteousness and prosperity and peace. And we pray that as a, a nation, um, as Great Britain and as um, the Western world more generally and across uh, the whole world, Lord, that we pray that Jesus will be acknowledged as Lord and King. And we pray that you would bring um, peace and prosperity and righteousness to the world through him. So we pray all of these things, trusting in Jesus' name and committing ourselves and our ways to you and your guiding hand this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining me, everyone. Um, don't forget all the links will be down below. Don't forget the book. Um, don't forget the Buy Me Coffee link if you'd like to. Um, there's the uh, Telegram and there is leaving a comment or email through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. Um, I think that's everything I wanted to mention. So, yeah, thanks for joining me so much. God bless and I'll see you again soon.